0: Welcome to the Great Conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. Uh, as many of you have listened to the great conversation, you realize it's about a lot of things. If ideas truly matter, and ideas can shape markets and change the world, ideas come from life. All the brutal realities of life, as well as the blessings of life. And we find how life is measured through our business, our schooling, our friends, our families, our faith. And so many times when I, my eyes and my ears and the still small voice in me points in a direction toward a person, I just have this sense It's an idea we we must uh, delve into deeply and share it with the rest of you. Uh, I first came across Nick Brossett, a leadership coaching and consulting uh, leader, but really starting that as a give back to society uh, upon his retirement in 2016 from 32 years in the educational system, and we'll learn more about his lessons learned during that time in a second. But what I was struck with is his voice as he uh, was dealing with not only his lessons learned, but the lessons that were being given to him in the form of dealing with pancreatic cancer, which my father died at at the age of 70 uh, many years ago. So I want to, I want to invite Nick Rossett to the great conversation Uh, and let's just have a transparent discussion of first, what did he learn through 32 years in education? It was so important to me growing up to have teachers and influencers that mattered to me. I'd love to see Nick and hear from you on what you learned during that time.
1: Well, Ron, thank you so much for the opportunity to visit with you and your listeners, and I'm humbled and honored to be asked and um, happy to share uh, what I feel I've experienced and also what God's put on my heart through my life as well as the cancer journey. But to be responsive to your question regarding public education and what I've learned, when I was a kid growing up, I had some pretty bumpy experiences in my own family. And it was teachers and coaches who reached out to me and let me understand through the power of the choices that I made, I, I didn't have to be a victim. I could essentially shape a different kind of life for myself. And so I really took that to heart. And when I was a junior uh, in college, trying to figure out what career I should go into, it just made sense to go into public education where I could you know, live 1 Corinthians 13 and love others as God has called us to. And so for 32 years, while I was a teacher and a coach, uh, building and district administrator, and most recently, 22 years as a school superintendent, which is a long time. I had hair when I started. I don't now. Trust me for the visual. Um, but during all that time, it was really just uh, a venue, a place to bring the love of God, as it was shown in grace and mercy to me, uh, to you know the staff, the students, the parents, the communities, the the jobs, the roles in which I served. And while my job changed and my position responsibilities changed during the career, my basic reason for being there was always the same. And uh, I feel blessed to have had the opportunity to serve in that role. And I uh, have a lot of respect for uh, people who work in any form of education for trying to lay down their lives to help other people have a better quality of life.
0: You know, it's so funny. I, uh, when I, I, deal with a lot of corporate leaders, uh, Nick and, uh, kind of a common theme is, uh, believe it or not, their most important goal is to figure out a way to, uh, hire, onboard, uh, and uh, measure the degree of employee engagement in their companies. Why do I bring that up? Emerson, a famous philosopher uh, from the United States years ago, said most people live lives of quiet desperation. And so much of the different thought leadership around developing a whole leader, and I reference my good friend, Dr. Rob McKenna in this, is really starts with this platform of purpose. What is it you're called to be? And that can be elusive when you're younger. There's so many options in life. But I think what I just heard from you is whatever you chose to do your main purpose was to serve others did i hear that right
1: yeah as 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 christ models for us in how he lived
0: his life and what a better forum than what than public education so what were the challenges in doing that it's one thing to say you know i want to be there to serve others what challenges personally and professionally kind of tweaked you, maybe got you off course at times, and uh, and what did you do to overcome those challenges?
1: Well, <clears throat> I think the national average for the career of a superintendent is like two or two and a half years. And so for me to do it for 22 years, I always felt like the Holy Spirit was present and helping me navigate you know, the political minefields and the various challenges that came along. But probably the most typical challenge would be people who would come to you or come to me in the role of the superintendent. And in the last district I was in, that was about 20,000 students. So it's a pretty good-sized school district. But they would come to you wanting to use my authority to accomplish their agenda. And, you know, that's kind of the slippery slope where – politics of doing something for one person that you couldn't do for everybody or wouldn't be in the best interest of the district. So that was probably the most common challenge and the way that I always dealt with it is something called a superordinate goal or quite simply kind of having a north star as a compassing point. And my north star was always what's in the best interest of kids, you know, learning and the school district and that was that was the basis upon which I would interpret requests and make decisions. So it kind of got to be pretty well known about me that I wouldn't bend to political pressure or interests that were contrary to that North Star, that compassing point. So I would just use that as my litmus test on issues that would come to me. Is this in the best interest of kids in the system? And and if it was, then we would do it. If it wasn't, we wouldn't. If we weren't sure, we would explore it. But it wasn't based on who was asking or their influence or the more typical political variables that are used as currency to make decisions and in organizations in our society. And so I always felt good about that. And yeah, I wasn't always popular, but people couldn't really question the value of that, that direction. And they knew where I stood and it was fair and consistent in applying that. The personal anguish would simply come from, you know, the people who would be critical of you and make it personal because they didn't get what they wanted. But, you know, again, after 22 years, that just sort of became one of those opportunity costs of serving in that role. It really didn't keep me awake at night. Uh, I feel bad for some of the people I I consult or, or coach. They're still somewhat young in their jobs or in their careers and they pay a pretty heavy personal price for, making those unpopular decisions and some people frankly have a hard time weathering that storm and as leaders in any setting and they they just aren't built to handle the rain and they have a hard time going out in it so it, it impacts it impacts how they do their jobs and that's sad um I am aware of just a little bit of you mentioned Rob McKenna I have great respect for him and the work that he's doing with his his work and the idea of a whole leader I What's always kind of struck me is that the wholeness of a leader is a, is a function of their wholeness as a person, and that a leader has to really be mindful and reflective and develop themselves and be developed pretty fully as a, as a human being in order to be able to really effectively lead other people. I think that's an important concept.
0: I hope that's responsive to your question. Absolutely. It's an ancient one, right? Know thyself. Um, so, so what I was just struck by is, and this would be the advice to any leader, know thyself, know thy North star, use that as your measuring point for all your interactions, know your North star, know the measuring point, And then the toughest one, the toughest one is understand you're in it for the long haul and that there will be bumps and bruises, but your pace, that, that your consistency, your persistence, your pace over time develops in itself a trust with your ecosystem, right? You, you are in it for the long haul. You establish a pace, a tone and tenor against that North star. And, and then and then your confidence is built up over time through the scars you may get along the way from personal critics and those who try to take you off course. Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, I think that's real fairy. Uh, kind of a metaphor or an analogy, I guess. Um, there are people who go into an organization and they stay you know, two or three years and they just do a two or three year kind of a deal. And then they move off and they do that same two or three years again, where the names and addresses have changed. You think of it like a, a master gardener, you you know you plant a tree, you're there for a couple of years and then you go off and plant another tree. And I mean, it has its place and maybe that's where they're comfortable. But early in my career, um, I was visiting with somebody who had been in the same place for quite a while. And um, he said, if you plant that tree and you're there for a year or two, it's different in what you can accomplish than if you're there for 10 years. And and so when I had my first superintendency, it was for 10 years and my second was for 12. And the trust and the relationship you develop over that kind of a period of time as a leader allows you to weather storms that others maybe couldn't or wouldn't or establish growth and fruit in the organization that others would never see and never harvest. And so there is something, and it changes you to be the the master gardener who tends to something for that period of time. It causes you to grow and mature as well, to be responsive to what the tree needs at seven years compared to two years or what have you. And so I do think as leaders, being able to stay where you're at and grow and develop over time helps you and helps your organization mature in ways that are different than somebody who just comes in maybe they never really fully unpack they just do their thing and off they go again but that's a calling that i think has to speak to somebody's heart when they're with an organization or they're deciding what they're going to do with their leadership talents
0: yeah how you how you define how you define the canvas and that which you will apply your paint and your strokes against that canvas is is really an important one. the The leader who decides to do something for two years and then recreate the same post somewhere else, that would be a challenge for them because they won't have the um, the blessing of legacy from that, um, unless their composite picture of building. You know, there's startup guys out there. There's um, there's church planners out there. And uh, that's what they were born to do, just startup companies. And then someone else takes it and builds it to last. So I could see, I could see a certain kind of personality, a a North Star that was built to start, not necessarily to last. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Well, there was a, I hope I cite this correctly, but there was a, Gentlemen, I think at the University of Washington years ago, and I want to say it was Fred Fiedler, but they were doing studies on leadership and they evaluated kind of the condition of the organization and then they did they did studies to determine which style of leader was the most effective based on where the organization was at. And their conclusion at least initially was that a certain, you know, high task versus high relationship leader would be better in different settings and so their conclusion was well then match the organization to that type of leader. But what they didn't see or what they hadn't thought through is that an organization changes over time. A a tree at two years is different than a tree at 10 years. And uh, for a long time, organizations would take a certain type of leader. And then when there was no longer a fit, they'd punt on that person and try to bring in a leader who worked better. And sometimes this happened just through the consequences of uh, fit it stopped being a good fit and people moved on or the organization wanted a different person. Well, what we've come to find in leadership is that a high concern for people and a high concern for productivity are both really desirable. And, but it takes a wisdom as a leader to know for that organization, maybe even on that day or that week that a certain situation requires a certain action or behavior or attitude from the leader and a week later, the organization might be facing something that needs a whole different approach or a different style. So the leadership has to have a lot of bandwidth and the capacity to adjust their behavior to match what an organization needs. And I'd break it down even further to say that a, an organization needs a leader to be able to modify his or her behavior to match what those followers need you know, from one day to the next. And I've even seen it work where You know, I had assistant superintendents that were very committed and very competent to do do a task, let's call it X. But an hour later, they would have a different challenge, call it Y, and they were maybe committed but not competent. They would need more direct coaching on how best to deal with some issue that they hadn't dealt with before. So it isn't really a one-size-fits-all approach. It's more situational, but it's the leader's ability to adapt and to understand what those situations are calling for and then being able to provide that one and if they don't have it to be able to find people who have that to bring uh bring to bear on the situation so it's a complex thing but it it can be really artistic and real beautiful if it's if it's done well
0: that is well said nick that is well said so we talked about in a very short snapshot your life your influences what you learned, the path, the legacy path, the North Star. Um, when you were diagnosed with cancer in August of 2020, and it's a virulent cancer, cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer is nothing, nothing, um, nothing in that um, gives one necessarily a good prognosis. It's something that is still. We're all still struggling with in the science and medical arena. How did your pathway prepare you for that? And how, what other things, like you said, adaptability of leaders, this is new information coming at you, it's it's attacking you personally. How did you adapt to be able to handle that?
1: Well, when you're faced with a life, Ending or a life-threatening situation, it it uh, it cuts to your core. And if it's your core, you don't have anything, then you really are in trouble, not just medically, but from a spiritual and soul level. But if at your core, you feel very close to God, you feel that you've been in that relationship through faith your whole life, uh, then it's a different kind of a challenge. And Fortunately, I've been my whole life somebody who um, has really felt uh, close to God. I, uh, again, when I mentioned I had some bumpy experiences growing up, I had a real tough experience when I was about 11 years old. And I, I've got to take a little bird walk to answer your question, but when I was 11, my parents were fighting physically down the hall, and, and I tried to break it up. You know, 11 years old. That wasn't too successful at it. Might have just distracted my dad for a bit. Um, but I went back to my bedroom and I was crying and I prayed to God. I said, "God, you know, it doesn't look like I'm going to have the the earthly father that I should." And I asked God to be my father. And I don't mean that as Jesus in terms of that literal sense, but I mean just to the extent that God could help me along in my life. And so my whole life, I've had a real close relationship with God, and He's used other people, significant people to come into my life and help me grow up as a young man and to go through to where I am today. So anyway, when I was in the hospital through the ER experience in August of 2020, and they were doing all kinds of tests, and the conclusion is, again, that I had cancer, and it had spread to my biliary tract, and it was clogging the biliary tract, so I was all yellow, and it was backed up, and My bilirubin count was so high that about two days is about all I had at that time, but they put in stints in my biliary tract to get it to drain. It's sort of a temporary thing. And then, you know, there's a medical story, which we can talk about later if you're interested, but that's gotten me to this point. But anyway, I was in the hospital and I was um, given the information. Yeah, there were some tears and my wife pretty upset about it. And, but pretty quickly I just went to that core. And at that core is a, Really strong faith in God, and and so I prayed. I I said, God, what's going on here? I mean, I, my vision of retirement didn't include this. And He's always spoken to me in my heart, and I've I don't mean to make this like a you know some kind of a spooky mystical thing. It's it's really a very clear voice that I hear in my heart in response to prayer. And He said, Nick, this isn't about you. And I wasn't trying to be a smart asshole. My wife tells me I can do that without trying, but, but I responded. I said, well, God, how is it not about me? I'm the one laying here in the hospital with cancer. And he said, you're, you're safe. You're secure now in him and you're secure when you pass. So don't, don't worry about yourself because you're already protected. He said, this is for other people. And I said, well, then what am I supposed to do? He says, just share, you know, from a faith-based perspective, just share along the way. And do my best. And it sounds really simple. It's hard when you're, um, you know, when you're going through some of the medical and health-related stuff I've gone through. um, You know, ten months of chemo, immunotherapy, uh, ten plus hour surgery, and I can't tell you how many trips to the ER and stays in the hospital. You know that I've had, and some pretty painful experiences as well. But at no point on the journey have I felt forsaken or abandoned or left by the side of the road in terms of my walk with God. If anything, it's been a a deepening of my faith, and I've gotten closer in that light just because uh, of his presence. And I've had really powerful dreams and answers to prayer that I'm trying to capture. And actually, right before you and I got on the phone, a couple people were leaving my house that are wanting to see my story put into a book. So That's happening, um, thankfully, because I don't have to pull the wagon with the help of some other people right now. But it's really just about, uh, for me, leaning on and relying on um, uh, what God has done in my life and he's doing in my life to keep me vertical right now and giving me an opportunity to share with more people what he's put on my heart.
0: So it comes full circle yeah we got to experience your life where you're urging us to have a north star to have a core that you can fall back on to help you help you build a life worth living and to get past the bumps along the way the things that hurt you whether they're personal critics a wholeness, essential a, a wholeness as a human being and, and also a leader, uh, an essential faith that says I've been given a garden and that uh, garden is the legacy by which um, I'll stand on at the end of my days and then to be faced with the gift of mortality where that North Star comes full circle. That that is a beautiful book, Nick, if someone can help you write it one day. Yeah, thank you. This has been a great conversation with Nick Brissett, a, uh, a husband, an educational professional, a whole leader, and a gift to all of us today on this great conversation podcast. Thank you, Nick.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. God bless.